This is the Man Up Podcast, the doctor's guide to men's health. Each week on our podcast, we interview the top specialists of the field on various topics in men's health. You have questions that you are too afraid to ask? We have the answers. This week, our episode is titled, What's the Deal with Porn? I'm Dr. Kevin Chu, and I'm joined as always with my co-host, Dr. Justin Dubin. What's up, Justin? Hey, Kevin. I hope you were having a good week, because I know I am. Yeah, it's been a great week. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I'm really excited to talk about our topic today because I think that this is a topic that we always get asked about, and it's literally and figuratively a sexy topic. We're talking about porn, pornography, uh, and I'm really excited to have uh, Dr. Lisa Paz, uh, a friend of ours we've known for a long time now. She's a marriage and sex therapist in private practice in Miami for uh, over 15 years. So I want to welcome you, Dr. Paz. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, guys. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to be talking about porn. I'm excited to be talking to you guys. It's We're so excited great. to have you on. This is going to be great. Exactly. We're going to make our own porn genre in a second. <laughs> We're all excited. We're all excited. I'm very excited. Um, I mean, porn is one of those things. It's, for better or worse, it's like a universal thing, right? Like, the, everyone has... For, for better or worse, probably used porn and people may not want to admit it. Um, and some other people love to admit it and love to be involved in it. And uh, so I guess my first question really to you is how, like what percentage of people are using porn on a regular basis? Um, and, and like, how common is porn usage? It's interesting because I actually think this is an underreported stat because I think that the people, so the, the wide stat is about 40 to 50% of men and about 10% of women are using porn. I, for me, this stat is low. I think that it's one of those um, numbers that the people that have shame around it are not gonna self-report using it. And so I think it's hard to capture the true amount, but it is widely used and when used well, kind of an amazing thing. And I'm so excited to get into like when it's super helpful and when it is not, but it, there's definitely two sides to this point. And I know we have very weird feelings around pornography, but again, when used well, I think porn is a very awesome tool when yeah, used 40, not well. Yeah. 40 to 50% sounds low incredibly well, incredibly I think well. if I and took a poll of like our guy friends, it'd probably be close to hundred percent. Right? Absolutely. Like it would be like Absolutely. 110. Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> but right. what about the women? You said 10%. I know a lot. I've talked with women about this and it's definitely higher than 10%. But do you think the women that you're talking to by, by virtue of the fact that they're even willing to have the conversation means they're more open to watching. Like the, I, again, yeah. I think that this is a weird stat to capture. But remember, it's interesting because, and this, there has been a lot that is like widely documented on this, that males are visual consumers, particularly as it relates to sex and sexual fantasy and sexual inspiration. And women are storylined consumers. Mm. So like, if you ask a man, what does he fantasize about? It's, it's often very one note, like big boobs, long legs, blowjobs. You know what? I mean, it's very sort of straightforward and visually oriented. You ask a woman and it's things like, it was raining out. I had satin sheets. There was a candle in the corner. It's like, there's a whole storyline attached. It's a rom-com. It's, it's, it's the notebook. It's the notebook. It is basically <laughs> the notebook. But that's why erotic literature is actually kind of the female version of pornography for many. So 
I don't know how to capture the stat in a way that is truly representative. And you guys know, as people who research sexuality, it's a self-selecting population right. to a degree in and of right. itself, you know? I read Fifty Shades of Grey. I thought it was, I get it. I get why women like that book. Did it you get a little something. hot bother, Justin? I did. I, I actually read it on a plane, which was probably not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> I was pregnant with my first son when I read it and we were living in a condo and I couldn't, I like couldn't put it down. I was reading it in the elevator. I was reading it and I made my husband read it and he didn't connect to it at all. <laughs> Wait, Justin, did I you did. read the whole series? No, I just read the first one. Uh, okay. it, it was enough. The writing's terrible, but you know, the writing scenes are fantastic. You, yes. you, you get it. You know, I get it. I get it. You remember like growing up dime store novels, those like romance novels? Yeah. 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 That's female pornography. That is sort of, I think, the larger version of what women respond to. And, I and think that's that probably not captured, right? Is that so that's what you're saying? Correct. Correct. And uh, for the men listening, right? I, I know we're here to talk about porn, but like there's a good like note to self that women respond to a storyline, right? And so they really like a narrative attached to whatever the image or whatever the, the fantasy is. So amongst, let's move to, let's talk about couples. Can pornography yes. use amongst couples help or harm the relationship? At its highest expression, it helps. And so it provides inspiration. It takes some of the pressure off of the couple to have to always show off like super engaged and sexy and A-game, right? It's nice to have a diversion. I'll tell you where it becomes a hindrance is if one of the, the partners is like, okay, we used it to get hot or like we used it because we were a little tipsy on Saturday night. That was fun. But now it's Wednesday morning and I just want it to be us. And the other person is like, but wait, what about the porn, right? So it works so long as everyone is on the same page and it works so long as the couple uses it kind of as a platform and not as a, they must have it in the bedroom. And so I think that couples that can, go in and out of it fluidly, phenomenal. I'll tell you, it also takes a secure couple, right? And so where it becomes a hindrance also is when you see like jealousy or insecurity. Is she prettier than me? Is his dick bigger than mine? Why are you looking at her that way? Aren't, why are you not looking down at me and instead at the screen? So again, I think that when couples are deciding whether to incorporate porn, you got to also take like a good inventory of, do we feel secure? Do we know that this is like, to spice it up and not to replace, et cetera. I know a lot of couples use it as a way to sort of land in a sexual spin. Like they start with it on and they start like, you know, and it gets you in. Like and then set the tone, set the mood, set the mood going. Thank you. Exactly. Set the mood. That's right. Now, how can like, if someone's interested, it could be a man or a woman in, in a relationship, What's a good way to kind of introduce the idea of using porn to, to, to really actually improve your partner's sex life and improve your sex life with your partner? Because it is taboo. Like some people think it's taboo, exactly what you said. Totally. So I think that there's two different ways. I'm a really big fan of intercouple communication where it relates to sex, just being direct. I think more often than not, just putting it out there is the way to neutralize it the best. When people start getting weird and cagey and like, you know, hey, I wanted to, nah, nah. you're kind of cueing your partner that this is either dicey or weird or taboo. Mm. I think the best way to do it is just to sort of sit down and be like, hey, 
you're so hot, we're so hot, our sex is so good. Are you open to adding something once in a while? I wanted to try this, but only if we're on board, right? I do think the formula though is to front load it with, front load it, huh? To front load it with, <laughs> like secretly a 12 year old boy, to front load it with a positive. Like we are so good. I, I want to like take the temperature on if, if you're open to trying something else. I think where introducing porn becomes a negative or becomes dicey is when it's to salvage the relationship, right? Mm -hmm. When the communication is, we're not really working well, what if we try this? Because then the message is like, we're deficient. And now you're watching this very not deficient couple on the screen. Right. And it creates, I think, the wrong message. So the best is front load with a positive and then just be direct. And I think in that directness, you cue the person that it's it's not a big deal. You know, when we get weird about it, we cue our partner that this is weird. So front loading with positive and just a direct ask is the way to go. All right, that's great. Now on a little bit of a pivot, some of these things that uh, patients have come up and asked me is, you know, how do I know if I'm watching too much porn? Yeah. Like when does watching porn become an issue, become a problem yeah. for me? Yep. I, I, you send me all of those patients. Exactly. <laughs> I see that. <laughs> um, here is sort of several answers to that. One, when it is interrupting you uh, engaging in real life, right? So we all have been there where we're watching good pornography and you hold your ejaculation because it feels good and you don't want it to end. And you're like, I'm just going to back off and keep this going a little bit. Fine. When you're doing that 15 times and all of a sudden an hour and a half has elapsed and you're late for something or you're not getting a responsibility done because you're electing to watch the porn instead, that is a problem or that is too much porn. When you need to continue to ante up the scenes or what you're watching because you've sensitized to a certain genre, that might be a cue that you have to back off when you can't get off with a human partner because you have made your brain so accustomed to watching pornography. And, and we can talk about the pitfall of that. That would be another um, example of too much, right? So foregoing important things, not being able to translate your sexuality back to partner to partner interaction or having to level up to like, because you just feel like you're sensitizing that you need you know, bigger, faster, harder, stronger. Well, I do feel like the desensitized thing is very common. Like, I feel like a lot of my friends have talked, we've talked about this, yep. you know, in private, right? Like not even from a doctor level, this is like yep. guys talking about guy stuff. And so I should be aware of that. People should be aware of that, right? That's something that is important to notice. And if we do notice that, how do we fix that? How do we kind of regress from that? At discipline, but so, well, let's talk right. about the origin of it first. If you think about the way porn has evolved, right? How we all watch it, right? Is you click on the little squares for as long as you want. And then as soon as it gets boring, you go to the next thing. And right. our attention span for what gets us off has become thinner and thinner and thinner. Like Absolutely. for those people that grew up in the VHS era, like we are the last know? ones. I think we're the last ones. To I think so. Static TV, image, like, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Right? Exactly. And you didn't get up to fast forward the scene. We could not We could it. <laughs> I was just listening. I was just listening. <laughs> you were grateful for whatever image yeah. was in front of you. You were yep. grateful and turned on. 
now what has happened is we've created this rapid fire image. So instant, you know? It's yeah. instant and it's so tailor-made. I mean, the genre, right? And then they give you the like, what you may like because you looked at this. Right. So now all of a sudden we have like more and more tailor-made porn that we are rapid firing our brain to respond to. And so what has happened is not only is it exactly what you like, and not only is your attention span for as soon as it gets a little bit boring to go next, and you have the auditory component if you're not listening on mute. So now it's like all of your senses are exactly what you want them to be at the pace in which you want. Then you go to be with a person. And while person to person sex is awesome, it is not as visually stimulating. You can't fast forward. If you have a partner who is a quiet partner, you don't have the auditory component. And so all of a sudden you really lowered the amount of stimulation from like a sensory perspective. And you're asking your body and your brain to have the same level of response. And so you see, that's where you see a lot of delayed ejaculation. You'll see some erectile dysfunction crop up. Anyway, I've gotten tangential. Back to the original question of what do you do about it? Some of it is just straight discipline, right? If you're eating too many Oreos and you don't fit into your jeans, like you stop eating so many fucking Oreos, right? Great like, analogy, great analogy. You gotta just sort of back off and recognize that too much of a good thing is not good, you know? Um, and I see this a lot. I imagine you guys see it a lot too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's very interesting what you said. You know, guys are very visual. You know, we're, we're all visual. And the fact that we can, like now with porn, be so instantaneous with it, just immediately just pick, you know, what, something to get me going, you know? And in the real sex situations then, you don't, you know, unless you have that communication going, that vibe going, you're not gonna really have that. And that leads to the erectile dysfunction and a lot of things that we see in our patients that come in. Time and time again, absolutely. It's, there's no question about it. Um, so we talked about desensitization and we, I guess it's the, they're kind of piggybacking off of that. Uh, and these concept of like unrealistic sexual expectations. Um, I, I guess I kind of am going to go a little bit in a different direction here with like fetishization and unrealistic yes. expect yes. expectations um, of pornography. And, you know, I think to many degrees, it's okay to have your fetishes. Um, but at what point do you feel like it becomes a problem, like these specific fetishes? Because, you know, we're talking about pornography and we're, yep. people will overwatch it. But is there like also a fetish that you maybe should be starting to be worried about? You're getting too deep into it or, yep. or something yep. like that. Yeah, no, these are great questions. Um, fetishes are funny, right? Because they only show up in a clinical environment if you either don't share them with your partner or if you're escalating them to a space where they become illegal, right? So things like exhibitionism, frauderism, where like all of the sudden you are crossing legal boundaries to engage this fetish. But couples that have a matched fetish, they never show up in a clinical setting because there's no problem. The challenge, right, is when you have secrecy or shame or an unmatched um, fetish and you are indulging pornography to satisfy this fetish, but it becomes so central where it really becomes the only way you get off, right? And, and in fact, when sort of assessing clinical relevance to fetishes or preferences, one of the major markers is, is that the only way you can get off? Is that your sort of exclusive money? Right. right. And if it is, and it, it 
creates a problem in your partnership, right? That's when you know it's gone too far. And so for people that are struggling with that, like one of the things I always ask is like, can you just back off of it? Can that be like a every fourth time you engage that, right? Because if not, what you do is you create this sort of neural network associated with the ejaculation, the arousal patterns that is so exclusive to those images, to that theme that it becomes, and you guys know, right? The stronger one neural network, the harder it is to pivot and, right, and have right. a response that's similar with another one. So almost like a stock portfolio, right? Like diversity and sexual fantasy is really the way to stave off a lot of the sexual dysfunction, being able to get off in different ways, being able to watch different things, being able to have a response and an interest in diversify your sexual portfolio. I love that because it's basically, you're telling us, You've got to be a you got to watch everything. You got to watch everything. You got to watch everything. Can't stick to one thing. You know, you got to you got to <laughs> You got to try all the kinds of pizza, you got to try all the different kinds of beer, you got to try all the different kinds of porn. You got to keep it, you know, a diverse portfolio. I love that. That's that makes so, sense so though. Good. That makes sense. It does. Right? Yeah. It totally yes, it does. Keep, no, it keeps all your neural networks sort of available, right? And and you guys will know this, right? Too that erectile dysfunction, what ends up happening is they come in and they're like bereft because their penis isn't cooperating. And then they only have one way that they consider a positive sexual interaction, right? And it's sort of the mark of the erection, the insertion, and then the completion. And if you don't have an expanded view of how to be intimate and how to hook up and how to please someone, then you kind of fail and flail. And so this idea of diversification just creates better lovemaking or like makes you show up better in bed across the board. And porn is a really great way to try that on. You should be watching a variety of genres. Dr. Paz, I love that. I love that. I absolutely. (laughs) I agree, Kev. All right. I've got, I got some homework to do. Kevin's going to be telling his wife, hold hold on. I'm diversifying. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Oh my God, that's amazing. Um, So just to follow up, I think you kind of just alluded to it. Just pornography in general and erectile dysfunction. One of the most controversial topics. And I think women ask us this, men ask us this. Does pornography cause erectile dysfunction? Yes, and it also treats it. And so if if we hark back to the conversation about sensory input and what your penis sort of get, becomes trained to respond to, right? And if we think about masturbation as training and neural, neural wiring creation, et cetera, right? And you are creating this very narrow pathway of how to have an erection and how to get off that doesn't translate into a person-to-person interaction, you will see erectile dysfunction. You will see either a hard time, uh-huh, you will see a difficult right? <laughs> I always catch myself. You will see a difficult time either achieving or maintaining that erection because your penis is literally like, you didn't train me to respond to this content. You trained me to have a much more heightened experience. Okay, fine. So then that's its own psychological pitfall. But I often, when I'm working with men with erectile dysfunction, one of my homeworks to them is to go lock in their sexual fantasies via pornography and alternate masturbating with and without pornography so that they learn how to access their fantasies without the actual visual aid of it. And they can use that as a tool when they are with their partner. So one of the biggest sort of pitfalls mentally of erectile dysfunction is that as soon as a man assesses that he's losing the erection or not getting it, 
the brain goes to, oh shit, what happened? Just relax. Let me just take a breath. Let me just take a breath. Just relax. And like, as soon as you're there, I was telling you, you're dead. You're dead. You're flailing in quicksand because your penis doesn't respond to just relax, take a breath. Right. No one ever jerked off saying like, just relax, take a breath. There's nothing to do. And so <laughs> all of a sudden not. you're in this mental dialogue that your penis is like, I don't know what to do with this. Like I'm out, I'm out. But the mental imagery of the pornography that you love so much, your penis is well aligned to. And so for men with erectile dysfunction, one of the things that I teach them to do is how to buy a little bit of time and keep their composure in a way that allows them to access their mental fantasies mm. and then check back into the interaction. So mm. while I think pornography can contribute to erectile dysfunction, I also think it can be a really useful tool in curing it or helping it. And by the way, as we're talking about this for all the men listening, you should alternate a jerking off without porn at least every third time. You should teach your That's brain to know. work. No, 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 100%. You should every teach your brain time. Be able to work a little bit at accessing the, the imagery that you like so much without the, the cliff notes, right? Porn is just easy, but we make ourselves cognitively lazy sexually. And so sort of forcing the brain to access fantasy structure without it is really good training. It's like sit-ups for the penis. Sit-ups for the penis. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so on... On another note, now, you know, we've been kind of talking about how porn can cause some issues. How can we use it for couples that have, let's say, sexual intimacy issues? Yep. You mean, like, how can we use it to aid them? Yes. Yeah, like, you know, maybe premature ejaculation, stuff right. like that. So I think that in general, if there's safety within a couple, right? And again, it only works if they really believe that they find the other one wholly attractive and it's good. It cannot be to plug up a deficiency. It needs to be, right. this is good and we wanna add more. Um, I'm back to neutral and put it out there and let couples figure out um, what they like and how they wanna share. And it's a really useful way for them to communicate their fantasies. One of the things that I often ask couples to do is to um, like text a link of a clip that they like. I think it's a very benign and approachable way to sort of put something out there without having to observe the person's immediate response. A lot of people when watching porn with their partner, you know, it's like, you, you go first, pick what you like. No, no, you pick what you like. You know, no one wants to own it and be like, this is the shit I want to watch when no right, one is looking. Right. And, so right. and then everyone <laughs> picks the like, the, the couple that kind of mirrors them just having like, like a little more than mission. And you're like, oh, well, like, okay. <laughs> right. And so Kevin's like, I best, know, right. <laughs> we going to text the clip. Uh, to, uh, to <laughs> it's an easy way to right. start putting your feelers out and see if they're into it or not, or any of the, All wait, right. did I ever, Justin, did I ever tell you that? Did I tell you, maybe I told you this one day at my house. I did this one time with my husband I like found it. I was like, I went through a phase where I was like really into a genre. And I was like, all right. I, I text my husband and I like with like a cute little like naughty line attached to it. And he wrote back, he wrote back, that's hot. Or like, you're not, I, whatever. He wrote back like something very, whatever, not judgmental, kind of like affirmative, right. if not neutral. And then we like never spoke about it. He like <laughs> never brought it up again. <laughs> and I was like, well, I guess that didn't land very well. <laughs> 
listen, you shot your shot. You know, yeah. shot by yeah. shot. Yeah. But that's how couples can use it as it right. relates to treatment. I mean, I think that they can use it to level up. They can use it for inspiration. They can use it to get in the mood. One of the things that research shows as it relates to female sexuality is that women have a very hard time landing in a sexual headspace that it's not really until they've adequately calmed down and quieted their brain and they don't feel fat and they don't feel like they smell and they feel like they've answered their emails that then they can check into a sexual interaction. Mm. And it's true. So porn, a lot of the time can be very helpful for women just as a space to land, like as a way to expedite, I'm neutral to I'm sexual. Men don't have as hard a time doing that, but that is a difficult piece for women. Um, But you asked about porn and premature ejaculation, how it can be helpful. Yes. Like in the couple or alone? No, for just, you use it for therapy, right? Yeah, I do use it for dreaming. I do. Um, So one of the things that you can, premature ejaculation is best treated through like a series of very structured uh, masturbatory exercises. And ideally when treating premature ejaculation, you want to teach the guy to get to their highest state of arousal and be able to recognize the ejaculatory inevitability and then back off of it, right? And so with men who are facing erectile erectile dysfunction, premature ejaculation, I always throw porn in the treatment plan as a way to access that really heightened sense of arousal and then start training themselves how to back off of it. So the reverse of erectile dysfunction, right? Where you're sort of teaching the brain how to have an arousal response with less stimulus with premature ejaculation. It's the inverse where you're like, I want to blast you with your highest erotic content and then teach you how to gain control over it. And even guys that don't have clinical pee, you can use all of the techniques and learn how to last longer and using pornography as a way to sort of step into that high arousal state and learn how to back off and hold is a really good exercise. I think that's fantastic. And I think that this has been a wonderful conversation. Um, I I really love talking with you, Dr. Paz. As you know, we always talk, we always have great conversations. We do. And uh, and, uh, you're just always a wonderful presence and uh, you always give such great advice. And uh, I'm sure we're going to have you on again, 100%. And guys, diversify, Um, diversify. Yeah, diversify (laughs) your portfolio, guys. That's the number one lesson. Exactly. And also every other, every three times, go on, go solo, go Go solo, solo. do it without. It's really important. Force the brain, force the brain. Yep. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming on. All right. Thank you so much, Lisa. Um, Thanks for everyone for listening this week's episode of man up doctors guide to men's health. Um, any questions, comments, concerns, feel free to, to reach out to Kevin or I via uh, our social media accounts. We're also on TikTok Man Up Podcast. Um, and we're going to put these on YouTube as well. So you can yep. watch these videos on YouTube. Yep. Um, download, subscribe, give us a review, five stars, and comments are always appreciated. For Kevin, Dr. Paz, and I, thanks for listening. Until next time.